welcome to Talk About Teddy, weekly conversations exploring the world of Theodore Roosevelt. Hosted by Kurt Skinner. And co-hosted by Larry Marple. Our guest today is Mark Lee Gardner, who's written a number of critically acclaimed and award-winning books to include his best-selling nonfiction titles, To Hell on a Fast Horse, The Untold Story of Billy the Kid and Pat Garrett, Shot All to Hell, Jesse James, The Northfield Raid and the Wild West's Greatest Escape, and The Earth is All That Lasts, Crazy Horse, Sitting Bull, and The Last Stand of the Great Sioux Nation, which was chosen by True West Magazine as the best nonfiction book of 2022. Currently, he is writing the stories of Wyatt Earp and Doc Holliday. His writing has earned numerous awards, to include two Western Writers of America Spur Awards and Best Book Award from the Wild West History Association. As an authority on the American West, Mark has appeared on the History Channel, PBS American Experience, NPR's All Things Considered, and BBC Radio. A native of Missouri, he holds an MA in American Studies from the University of Wyoming, and lives with his family at the foot of Pikes Peak. But the book we are particularly excited to talk about with Mark today is his 2016 work, Rough Riders, Theodore Roosevelt, His Cowboy Regiment, and The Immortal Charge Up San Juan Hill. Mark Lee Gardner, welcome to the Talk About Teddy podcast. Hey, thanks for having me, Kurt and Larry. I went alphabetically. I hope that's <laughs> the right way. So Perfect. I hadn't thought about that, but you're right. Yeah. <laughs> Wow, thank you so much for being the premier historical author on our show. It's exciting. Well, I like to think of myself as a premier author, so uh, <laughs> this is very appropriate, I think. Yes, it is. First in the hearts of yeah. history lovers. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and there's a lot of them out there, so yeah. There are. Well, as we said, besides all of your other Western American history books, we're particularly interested in how T.R. touches the American West here. So as a writer of the American 19th century Western stories, how do you see the Rough Rider story fitting into that genre? Well, I, you know, I, the Rough Rider book was a bit of a struggle to get approved by my publisher, but because I, I actually had submitted other ideas before the Rough Riders, and then my agent and another author had suggested the Rough Riders, and as soon as they suggested it, I mean, you know, as a kid, TR just fascinated me, but as a Western historian, this this story seemed to be so Western because of many of the men that made up that regiment, you know, from Arizona and New Mexico and Texas. Of course, we know there are lots of others from the East Coast in there, too, but, but you know, even at the time, it seemed like a Western story, right? Because the individuals who kind of came up with this concept of Rough Riders, they envisioned, you know, the rootin' tootin' sharpshooting cowboys. And, oh, yeah, they'd make the perfect yep. fighters in a war. And so even its very beginnings were kind of rooted in the American West. So to me, it was just like a natural. It's, uh, I felt like I was just, you know, writing a, another Western story. It ended up being much more than that. But at its core, <laughs> it felt very Western to me. Yeah, yeah, because yeah, there were other regiments that were supposed to have been raised like the Rough Riders. Yes, exactly. I think there was a total of three, weren't there? One in Wyoming mm-hmm. and then one from the Dakotas, I believe. Mm-hmm. And those poor guys just didn't get their act together in time. No. So <laughs> They needed a TR, right? Because TR, it's like, man, you got a ramrod. He made sure that they were not going to miss that. And, you know, I really think that had 
TR not been a member of that regiment, they probably wouldn't have made it no. to Cuba like the others. He had good connections. Well, he's, of course, you know, he's a political animal as well as lots of other things. So, yeah, he had, he knew all kinds, you know, whether it was senators, congressmen or whatever. But I think it wasn't just the connections to me with TR. It was this unbridled enthusiasm and energy. I mean, you know, he does not take no for an answer. He never <laughs> did, right, kind of, unless he was forced to. So I think it was part of, you know, his own being that kind of willed this to happen. So, yeah, it helped that he had the connections. But I, I don't know. I think somebody else, even with the connections, you know, they just didn't have what TR had as far as, well, you know, what did he say? I put myself in the way of things happening and they happened. You yeah. know, and he was he was better at that than anybody else. Yeah, right. Being the only regiment to make it to Cuba out of the three, I think it was just that drive to, I will do whatever it takes to get us to Cuba. Oh, yeah. And, yeah. And, and it was at every level, and you guys know this, I mean, whether it was getting the, the Craig Jorgensen carbines, yeah. the certain kinds of uniforms, you know, at every level, he was striving to make sure that they were going to get there and they were going to have what they needed uh, when mm-hmm. they got there. And... If, if they had to sacrifice their horses to get there, they're going to sacrifice. So, I mean, whatever they had to do, he was not going to miss this, and he was going to make sure the regiment did not miss this. Mm-hmm. You know, even even what did they? You know, they commandeered a boat, right? Basically, and yep. <laughs> in, in Tampa. So yeah, the Yucatan. Uh, yeah, were, I think his personality, his motivations, his energy. There was no one else like him, and he essentially willed his regiment to Cuba. And up Sam on Hill eventually, too. So. That's yep. a good way of putting it. He willed them to Cuba, whether it was trains to catch or boats to catch or being the first to disembark at Daiquiri in Cuba and then Joe Wheeler being <laughs> yeah. at the head of things and pushing them inland. And he was just, uh, yeah, it's not, not necessarily just luck. But yeah. Without, yeah. without TR's force of will, they wouldn't have made it to Cuba. They wouldn't have led the march through Las Guasimas to that battle to anywhere. Yeah. I mean, there would have been, they would have been back in Tampa. Yeah. And sometimes that was a detriment, right? I mean, we have this debate. I don't know if it's still a debate, but at Las Guasimas, you know, the foolhardiness, you know, they kind of go into an ambush <laughs> and they, they yeah. didn't like that word. We, we knew where they were. And, uh, but it sure seemed like an ambush to the men that were in, you know, that were there fighting and uh, they were so eager to get in there and, and to fight. And they got a fight, <laughs> but uh, so you know sometimes that can that can backfire. But more often than not, that was a, a positive for TR. Larry and I are both incredibly impressed with the storytelling that's that craft that you have. But uh, it's it's not just a function of you inventing narrative here. We we know that you are rooted in the source material and it's just the the writer's craft of making it seem as if you were there and adding that color so i I was wondering if you could tell us a little bit about the sources that you found particularly helpful in putting the putting stories together like this oh sure yeah well i really feel like my book is it's i feel like they're telling the story i tried Mm -hmm. to write it that way i mean I do want to. I do want you to have the feel of, of you are there, but you have that feeling because it's their words often, and I did that through a wealth of, of, of you know, Rough Rider letters, diary excerpts, and of course TR's own writings, and he wrote prolifically about 
experiences and the experience of his regimen. But, you know, one of the things that, that I really benefited from that previous authors on this topic hadn't was that there's several websites of digitized newspapers from the 19th century and, and earlier. And uh, years ago, that wasn't that didn't exist. In fact, in 2010, my first big book for HarperCollins on Billy the Kid and Pat Garrett, that was kind of the first time that anyone had used these newspaper sites to search on information, territory of New Mexico and, and the kid and Garrett. And, and I really made great use of that. And then uh, a, you know, a few years later, I'm doing the Rough Riders. And, and I discovered that, well, let me give you an example. And I, and I mentioned this in, in the book, an author in the 1917s, Carrington Jones, wrote a book called Rough Riders. And he made this comment. He said that uh, the Rough Riders were so busy that they didn't have time to write letters. And he mentioned there was a you know, lack of letters and, and documents. Well, you know, that's the what seemed to him then because there really weren't a lot, you know, in, in archives or out there. But man, when I got on the, you know, these newspaper sites, and of course it's character recognition, and I type in the words Rough Riders or Roosevelt, and there were just all kinds of uh, letters that I found that these had written back to their local papers, or they might have written to their, their mom or their dad. And then the dad mm-hmm. took it to the local paper. Hey, I just got a letter from my son and TR's unit, and it was published in the paper. And, and so basically every state that Rough Riders came from, I found you know letters written from the field giving updates on their experiences. And so I tried to make as much use of those as I could. And then I also went and, you know, I tried to seek out, you know, diaries and, and letters and manuscripts that some had been used before, but I found some things that had. And one of the great finds was at the Theodore Roosevelt Collection at Harvard. And one mm-hmm. of the members, his family, put together a Rough Rider scrapbook, like three volumes of scrapbooks. And they had pasted his letters in the scrapbook so the letters uh nobody knew nobody knew about the letters they just thought it was a scrapbook well then i just start going through the scrapbook and here's these wonderful letters written you know from the field that are pasted in and and i was able to make use of them as well so there was they're really amazing yeah Yeah. there's a lot of stuff yeah there was a lot of stuff out there they're actually scrapbooks are just fantastic and i I don't believe that's been digitized yet either i don't think it has either in fact one Mm. of the cool things there he had picked up some uh, cool stuff but like he sent little souvenirs home and i think if i remember correctly there was like partial documents from the spanish army that were glued in there that he sent back he also had like (laughs) i think it was wrappers from maybe the spanish mauser ammunition boxes or whatever so there's little things he sent home and were glued in there and also in that scrapbook are the photos and i use these in my book the before and after i can't remember this the soldier's name but it shows him a photograph in tampa and then it shows him when he got home and he's all thin and bandaged and and that those were glued into the scrapbook so he was pretty badly wounded they had pasted in there the photos of his x-ray showing the bullet in his lungs. Those, oh, wow. those are in the scrapbook. And this, I didn't even know they could do x-rays then. I mean, it was just bizarre. It's like, um, Good grief. Have, I took a picture of it. Remind me, I'll send it to you. <laughs> because it shows the bullet lodged in his chest. 
Um, wow. and, and it's the actual original X-ray photo. And the mom. So these are just family scrapbooks that it, got yeah. donated wow. to Harvard. And yeah, it's in the scrapbook. It's yeah, it was pretty cool when I came across that. But I, I was yeah. shocked. I wasn't expecting all those things in there. I've seen for in the Roosevelt realm was when he was shot in 1912, and they have oh. that X-ray. So mm. it shows the bullet, okay. but that's okay. Yeah, that's perfect. That's pretty cool. Yeah. I remember you made reference to the Herman Hagedorn Rough Rider research notes. Hagedorn, a real devotee to Roosevelt who wrote a considerable number of biographical stuff for Roosevelt and had put together a lot of research notes for his book on Roosevelt's Rough Riders, but it sounds as if he didn't include some of those research notes that you <laughs> that well, you ended he, up using. You know, his book was a novel, right? And and he took all kinds of you know information from these veterans to write this book. And of course, my interest was it was in the core, you know, the manuscript material, you know, not his novel. And yeah. so, yeah, I I made you know a pretty good use of that. There were some good accounts in there and correspondence oh. that he had, and his novel, The Rough Riders. I have a first edition copy of that, and it's signed by him to one of the Rough Riders that he used as a source, oh, which is kind of wow. cool. You know, it's uh, we'll get off on a tangent here on collecting, but because you know, I'm a huge book collector, mm-hmm. but uh, the book dealers didn't realize that that was a Rough Rider. <laughs> it was signed to. It just said signed by Hagedorn. You know, well, of course, it was signed <laughs> to one of the guys you know in the regiment, and a pretty important oh. one of the Harvard guys, actually. So, kind of sucks. Uh, yeah. Hey. Wow. Well, you use those sources, those diaries, those manuscripts, those scraps of notes and interviews from some pretty obscure sources in some cases. Something some of our listeners may or may not be aware of is there is a collection of Rough Rider interviews and notes down in Las Vegas, New Mexico. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, you know, um, I just find it amazing that less than a year later, they have a reunion (laughs) during the summer of 1899. And in Las Vegas, it, you know, and it made sense. A lot of New Mexicans were part of the, you know, the larger portion, actually, from New Mexico. And easy to get to by train. So that's the first reunion. And then they moved it around occasionally. And you know, here's a kind of an interesting aside. Theodore Roosevelt, you know, he's a busy guy. And he kind of let him know, it's like, do we have to have these every year? Because <laughs> you know, there's a lot going on here in Washington, New York or whatever. But anyway, but, you know, they were all gung-ho. You know, it's like, well, we got to get together again. It was almost like, you know, college buddies. Oh, yeah, come mm-hmm. on, we got let's get together every year. Anyway, so in later years, they, they made Las Vegas the headquarters for their associ- the Veterans Association or the Rough Riders Association, whatever they were terming it at the time. And then eventually mm-hmm. they donated their collections to the, uh, it's called the Rough Rider Memorial. The, the whole title is very long, the City of Las Vegas Museum and Rough Rider Memorial. And, uh, you know, in, in these collections, well, it's really nice. The, you know, it's a very small place, institution. They don't have a lot of funding. But uh, over the years, the archivists there, they developed files when they could of each member of the regiment. And in those files, there might be a letter. There might be pages from a diary. Or, and, you know, a lot of times it's just newspaper obits or clippings. Uh, mm-hmm. But, yeah, I spent several days going through their boxes there in the archive and mm-hmm. going through each each file for a member and, seeing if there was something there I could use. So, uh, yeah, that's one of those, like you say, one of those kind of unknown or hidden gems. And uh, and when we talk about artifacts later, one of my favorite ones is actually in that, that museum today. 
Oh, that's right. I I think maybe you've told me about that in the past. We'll save that for that portion. And, <laughs> but I guess one of the reasons I bring up that Rough Rider Memorial Museum and some of their archives is one of my favorite and most poignant stories, I think, from your book. And there's many, but I realized in looking at the notes that there was a single witness to a story that you make reference to. And this is with the following the first battle at Las Guasimas. And we had what Roosevelt described as perhaps the finest officer in the regiment, Captain Capron, is is killed in that first engagement. And there's this really touching story that could only have been written because you found this obscure reference to it by a person in the Rough Rider Memorial Archives. And and that's that story of Captain Capron. Would you read for oh, us sure. from page 128 through the end of the next page? That night, the men gathered around their different messes with emotions running between elation for their victory and deep sadness for the loss of friends. Eight Rough Riders had been killed and more than 40 were wounded. One of the men of Troop L, known for his sweet tenor voice, began to sing The Vacant Chair, probably the saddest song to come out of the Civil War. It was enough to choke a man up, one trooper remembered. Not far from camp, a guard kept watch over the bodies of the fallen, lined up in a row along the trail. Out of the darkness, a solitary figure approached the guard. He was wearing the uniform of a captain of artillery, and looked to be in his early 50s. He asked to see the body of Captain Capron, explaining that he was Captain Allen Capron of the 1st U.S. Artillery. He was there to see his son's body. The guard watched as the senior Capron pulled back the blanket covering his son's face. The veteran artilleryman then snapped to attention, his body perfectly erect for several seconds. Next, his right hand came up sharply to his forehead in a salute. Then, without saying a word, Captain Capron turned and walked back down the trail. Wow. Yeah. I, I have always been moved by that passage, and now as well. And again, that could only have been written by the one witness to that event, which was the guard. Yeah. It, it does bring up many emotions, and, you know, Capron comes from a military family, but... When your son joins or your daughter, you know, the reality is, is that they may not come back. But on the other hand, you know, and I'm also thinking of Theodore Miller and yeah. Theodore Miller, he desperately wanted to go. And, you know, the family, you know, they weren't keen on it. A lot of families would, would under that way today, but you don't want to hold your child back. And, you know, you have to let him take that risk. And and so all those emotions you think of when you see this story, I mean, his father was certainly proud of his son and he died a hero's death, but he also experienced a tremendous loss. And yeah. how, how do you, you know, put those things together? It, and so anyway, it's but I, I, if I felt that that for me in writing that story and in, in the, including that chapter, it really humanizes, you know. It's not just a bunch of good old boys having fun, but danger and death were right there with them. Right. 
Right. And that, mm-hmm. that for me is, is what makes your writing so interesting to read is you've got all of that color and, you know, we understand that it all comes from sources, materials, but, you know, I, I was rereading over some of these passages and I realized there are six different sources that went into a single paragraph just to make it yeah. feel as if you are right there in the middle of the action. And so that's a that's a writer's gift that you have there, Mark. Well, thanks. <laughs> and, you know, that's that's why my writing takes so long and and why it can be so stressful, especially with deadlines. And, you know, the last book I did on Crazy Horse and Sitting Bull, that was a five-year project. Mm-hmm. And, oh. and yet you'll see the same thing. I mean... You know, for one episode or incident, I might have had to consult, you know, seven or eight different sources. And and you know this yourselves, they don't often agree with one another. <laughs> but in narrative writing, you can't, I mean, there's no way that I'm going to take up paragraphs debating what actually happened. When you're, when you're telling a story, you want it to flow. You want it to have the narrative to flow along. So you have to make decisions based on your sources and tell what you think happened. And then you can put in the notes, you know, this is based on such and such and such. Some scholars disagree, or you can mention there's a controversy about this, but I'm not going to debate other historians in the body of the book. You know, some academic books, that's fine. You know, that's the way they're written. But I want my books to be read, to be enjoyed, and I don't want people slowing down and eventually no. putting it down because, oh, this is tedious. You know, uh, right. you know make up your mind. <laughs> what happened? You know, so, <laughs> Uh, and that's what I love that I had that comment. I wanted to make sure I told you that in your attention to detail and using the primary sources, oh. it is greatly appreciated. Well, thank you. Well, yeah. and of course, you know this, Larry. You know, other people are going to want to check you out, right? And yeah. gonna, you know, it's like, oh, I'm interested in this detail here. And so you put the sources there. So other scholars and, and, and amateur historians and just general readers. And today it's so easy to check because if you go to Chronicling America, which is a free website, Library of Congress, yeah. oh, he used the Oklahoma whatever. And, and, you know, here's the actual piece. And you can see, well, how, how well did I, you know, uh, yeah. narrate that, you know, based on the actual sources. So, but I thanks, I mean, I, for mentioning that because I, I really, that's something I strive to do and and it makes it different from a lot of you know history books especially yeah. trade books and one of the things that that really turns me off and you know some readers they don't care but if i turn you know one of the first things i do when i see a new book is i turn to the notes and if i see a bunch of ibid 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 and mm-hmm. and, and if they're citing you know popular histories and not original sources well then i'm not interested in that book because i know they didn't do their homework they didn't do the original re- yeah. you know my books they have to have original research, lots of good notes. Yeah. Uh, well, we can shift gears from that sad story to a, a story from battle on page 166. This is the bully fight chapter where they're actually going up the San Juan ridge line. Oh, and okay. Roosevelt, from his perspective, does not include this full story, perhaps, in, in his account in The Rough Riders, but no. from... From several different diaries and interviews, you piece together this brief little exchange that happens between Roosevelt and a couple of troopers. Hughes, a blacksmith from Tucson, Arizona, was bleeding freely from his own head wound, which he had received during the assault on Kettle Hill. A friend had wrapped a bandage around his head, but the bandage had fallen off, and the blood running down Hughes' face looked fairly gruesome. 
Roosevelt passed by, took one look at Hughes and another man with a head wound, Fred Bugby of Troop A, and told them both to go to the rear, as their appearance could not have, good, could not have a good effect on the men. A minute later, Roosevelt saw the pair still on the firing line and said, Didn't I order you men back? You go to hell. We are not going back, Bugsy said. <laughs> Roosevelt turned and walked away, pretending he hadn't heard the young cowboy, whom he could have court-martialed for insubordination. Instead, he would later give Bugby and Hughes official commendations for bravery. <laughs> but, I love that. I love that story. I love it for what it it tells about the the attitudes of the Rough Riders, but also about Roosevelt being an unconventional officer and oh, leader, yeah. and a man that they were willing to fun, follow anywhere. Fun so, story. It shows why. Yes, and you know I think Roosevelt realized you can push only so far, yeah. <laughs> and uh, you can be a tyrant or whatever. And and I think he recognized that you know these men were there to fight they didn't want to miss one moment no. you know they wanted to stay on the line with their comrades and uh, so yeah but it is it's humorous and and you're right it's like he understood the situation and he let it go and then and recognized them later so. yeah <laughs> so there's a lot of there's a lot of those stories actually that roosevelt talks about with the man uh, basically sneaking out of out of the the sick wards yeah. near the shorelines and making their way back to the battlefield and and there were actually several men who Roosevelt or some other officer sent to, sent backwards who found themselves back on the firing lines because yeah. like you said they it was just too important they didn't didn't want to miss this chance to make their mark in in history and ben, so, I also think I mean there's that camaraderie right I yeah. Mean, yeah, you want to be with your guys, the band of brothers. To, yeah, exactly. So it makes it makes perfect sense. But I, but all, at the same time, it's just hilarious, right? Yeah, yeah. Did, didn't I send you back? <laughs> <laughs> oh, I, I was going to say I have an autograph album, and one of the men, it has two Rough Rider signatures. One of the men was with TR at Santiago de Cuba. This is signed in November of 1898, and he signs his name, Ira C. Hartzell, Santiago de Cuba. He's back home in Arizona, but he signs this album. One of the men left behind is further back in the album, and his name is J. Archer Wormel, and all he signs is Phoenix, Arizona, November 10, 1898. He didn't even sign Rough Riders with it. He was so hurt being left behind, I feel. I mean, I can't prove that, but... Seeing the yeah. other one who's back in Arizona signing at Santiago de Cuba. <laughs> yeah. Well, I tell you what, I mean, you know this. There were guys that were crying in yeah. Florida when they weren't chosen. I mean, it was just heartbreaking for them. Yeah. It probably saved their lives. <laughs> oh, yeah. I mean, with the, with the disease and if they didn't get shot, I mean, it, it was it was not pretty down there. No. But, no, they were, they were in, literally in tears. Yeah, a third of the regiment left behind in Tampa. Yeah. Simply because there weren't enough troop transports to well, carry all the men. But you know, Kurt, it's like it's so understandable for me because number one, it was hard to get in. Number mm-hmm. two, they went through the train, their horses. I mean, they went through so much, and they were so close. Yeah. And then they didn't yeah. get to go. And you know, and well, the other thing I found was so ironic. Um, you probably read these stories, but but during this, you know, when the Civil War broke out, there was this huge rush of enlistments and everybody was afraid the war would be over yeah. before they could get there. And the same thing happened 
with Cuba, but it was actually true. The war did. Right. It only lasted a few months. So, you know, the Civil War broke on for four years. But, you know, yeah, it's, yeah. it's like, oh, it's going to be over before we can get down there. Well, sure enough, they were right. It didn't yeah. last very long. So. Yeah. Even some of the men who didn't make it to Cuba still suffered with malaria and, yeah. and some of those tropical diseases. Yeah. Stout young men, whether they were Harvard men or cowpunchers out in the Southwest, they still weren't suited for tropical conditions. And Roosevelt bragged that his regiment suffered the highest level of casualties of any cavalry regiment in Cuba. One thing also that I find interesting in, in talking about those that didn't go, and the ones that went, of course, they became iconic, right? I mean, oh, yeah. they charged up San Juan Hill. And so just think, you know, people, you know, your daughter or grandchild is asking you in the Rough Riders, did you charge Samuel Hill with TR? Well, no, we <laughs> left in Florida. I mean, yeah. it's like your, your comrades became heroes. And like I say, they, they were icons. And then when you're asked, you were in the, oh, you were in the Rough Riders. Well, but I didn't actually go to Cuba. <laughs> so it's, right. It had to be, you know, it was bad enough when they got left behind, but it was 10 times worse afterwards. Yeah. yeah, I think Roosevelt would have gone as a corporal if he had to. Oh, just yeah. To get oh, to yeah. Cuba. Yeah. He would have snuck on. <laughs> he would have. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, the research that I've done on some of the, uh, the Rough Riders who did perish, whether it was months or even years later, that was the, the cause of death, is just complications of, of yeah. having spent of those battle conditions in the tropics. Mm hmm. So, yes, yeah, really, really tragic. It's, I think you've made mention of this before. It's difficult to affix a good number to the deaths and casualties of the Rough Riders for mm -hmm. some of those reasons. Oh, yeah. No, it, yeah. I mean, the, the, the fevers, the malaria, the typhoid fever, my doctor explained, it weakened their systems. Yeah. And so even though they seemed healthy when they got back, they would get pneumonia and die, you know, and mm -hmm. so their immune systems were compromised by that experience. Mm -hmm. But I thought of something I wanted to be sure to mention. And, you know, the Rough Riders, they were also Buffalo soldiers that were part of, yep. you know, this invasion of Cuba. And it was interesting to me how war changed the Rough Riders' perceptions of African-American troops. And, of course, they weren't allowed to join, you know, the Rough Riders. But it, I remember in the march to Las Guasimas, and there was an episode where they got to this stream, but then someone noticed that these Buffalo soldiers had been drinking and were in the water upstream. And they all decided we're not going to be drinking downstream from those guys. Um, but by the time they were up on San Juan Hill, they were sharing blankets yeah. with Buffalo soldiers on yeah. top of San Juan Hill. I mean, and, and I even quote in my book, I mean, their opinion of them as fighters, they marveled at the Buffalo soldiers and, and so, you know, I, I would like to think that it, that whereas they had some had very racist attitudes at the beginning, uh, I would like to think that their experiences with the Buffalo soldiers were changed by yeah. what they saw themselves. And, and like I say, you know, we, they shared the blankets with black men on top of San Juan Hill. So yeah. uh, that was a huge thing in 1898. Yeah. So. yeah. Yeah. Well, it was uh, there was a controversy involving Roosevelt. Because of malaria and the and the fear of yellow fever in the troops, so how how'd that affect Roosevelt? Well, he was a good officer at looking out for his men. 
And of course, disease, malaria was rampant, and he he felt his regiment needed to go home, and which is kind of ironic because he was also volunteering them for Puerto Rico just before. <laughs> I mean, it, the illness was serious, and yes, people were dying, and and uh, you know he ended up writing the letter that you know explaining the conditions and his recommendations, and and uh, he wanted to submit it to Shafter and uh, in charge of the the military force there in Cuba. And there was a, I guess there was a correspondent there in the same tent and the chapter, you know, wouldn't take the letter and kind of pushed it over towards the correspondent and it was published all over the papers. And I I completely understand why the Secretary of War would be incensed or enraged by this. Oh, yeah. Um, You know, apparently he had already issued orders for some of the troops to be withdrawn. But I mean, you've got, you know, a colonel and who's broadcasting the problems in Cuba that makes the War Department look horrible, and they already looked horrible, right? I mean, they were all, they got all kinds of bad press <laughs> from the very beginning. So, right. and and yeah. it was also they, they were had... in the midst of negoti- negotiations with Spain, and all of a sudden you've got yeah. this you know letter that says we're in bad shape down here, and so if you keep us here another two or three weeks, our force could be decimated. Yeah, and... yeah. yeah. So, <laughs> yeah, it, it was not a good look for the military and. And certainly TR overstepped, you know, crossed some lines, lots of lines there. But on the other <laughs> hand, like I said before, you know, he's a good officer. He cares, you know, any good officer, you're going to do whatever you can and yeah. if, for the, the benefit of your men. And and you know what? It, it got things happening, right? It got things moving. Uh, and, uh, and, you know, so in some ways that maybe that was a good thing, too, to draw attention to this. Because people didn't, people at home didn't know what was going on. And, you know, why I'm not, why don't I get a letter from so-and-so or whatever? And he's in the right. hospital. And of course, you know, there was, I think one correspondent predicted this would ruin Roosevelt's political yeah. career for years, <laughs> for years to come. <laughs> right. Because there was a pretty nasty public squabble going on yeah. between oh, Roosevelt yeah. and, and Secretary of War Alger. And yeah. Uh, yeah, and it certainly did cost Roosevelt the opportunity to be nominated and receive the Medal of Honor in his lifetime. Yeah. Yeah, I, I Alger think... had the ability to deny that, perhaps. Yes, I just think Alger and a lot of people, I mean... The guy's the most famous American, and now we're going to give him a Medal of Honor. <laughs> it's like, you know, it's like for them, TR. We've just got too much of TR, and yeah. why would we add something else to his to his record? It's like, no, we're not going there. So, <laughs> so uh, probably a lot of our listeners know the rest of the story here, but Roosevelt talks about rising like a rocket. His war fame from the Spanish-American War no sooner is the unit mustering out a couple of months later than the Republican Party nominates Roosevelt to run for governor of the state of New York. <laughs> so. And and very, you know, what a savvy politician, but he goes on the campaign trail with Rough Riders in uniform, right? Yeah. It's like, yeah. It's like perfect. You know, so. Well, before we get away from Alger, I wanted to just mention, and of course, I collect books. I love books. And Alger wrote a book on the history of the Spanish-American War. And uh, let's see, I, I have I have a copy. And uh, is and I did use this as my, his book as a source. The Spanish-American War by R.A. Alger. It came out in 1901. It came out after mm-hmm. T.R.'s book. But I have a signed copy. And it's signed to... John Davis Long, the secretary. Oh my goodness! Oh wow! Okay, this is yeah, what, this is the, the this was, 
This will send chills down your spine. Honorable John D. Long, in memory of the days that tried us all. Isn't that cool? <laughs> in memory of the days that tried us all. And it did try them. I mean, you know, the Secretary of War and the Navy, it, it, you know, they had to organize all of this and send the country and, and their army to war. And I just, to me, that's such a great, in memory of the days that tried us all. I mean, it was very trying for everybody. But what, yeah. a, what a book to have, the first edition from the Secretary, yeah. former Secretary of the War, the Secretary, and it has it has John Davis Long's book plate in it as well. So Goodness so, sakes. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's quite got, a find. I got that on eBay for like $25 or whatever. Goodness. And again, it's one of those things, you have to have some knowledge. The seller didn't mention anywhere that it was inscribed to the Secretary of the Oh, Navy. my. It just said signed, signed copy. It is like, oh, my God. It's yeah. signed to John Davis Long. And, of course, he has a TR connection as well. You know, oh, yeah. TR was under him. So. Yeah, the assistant secretary. Anyway. Yeah. So Roosevelt had given him both fits during oh. his – maybe that was the all the, the trouble that he was referring to is just – Roosevelt. Yeah, it could be. He may have had that in mind. Look at the times when Theodore Roosevelt caused us trouble. And there was that war as well. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And you mentioned the Rough Riders going with Roosevelt. One of my favorite stories is Buck Taylor, one of the sergeants, who is on the campaign trail with Roosevelt, and he's speaking for him, and he goes, Vote for my colonel. Vote for my colonel. If you elect him, he will lead us as he led us in Cuba, like sheep to the slaughter. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing like a ringing endorsement. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah, that's that's great. And you make reference to that towards the end of the book about, you know, as Roosevelt rose through political life, eventually to the president. He's president within three years of the yeah. – of the mustering out of the Rough Riders, and and they were with him for the rest of his career. Oh, and yeah. wherever he went, there was always a gathering of Rough Riders, particularly in the West. But yeah. your your chapter eleven talks about the Rough Riders as veterans and the children of the dragon's blood, as Roosevelt referred to them. Yeah, yeah. Um, I wanted to. I pitched to my editor. I wanted that to be the title of my book, "Children of the Dragon's Blood." Oh, wow. And it did not go over well. <laughs> and, you know, from their viewpoint, it's like, Mark, how could you have a better title than Rough Riders? I mean, you yeah. know, it, it tells you immediately what it's about. But I just love that, that phrase, Children of the Dragon's Blood. And then my agent, he said, Mark, it sounds like it's a science fiction novel. Really. <laughs> you know, so, or, you know, anyway, so, but I said, well, I'm going to, you know, at least I can put it as a title of a chapter. So, yeah. yeah. That, you know, again, you're right, Kurt. You know, his men, I would say the vast majority of his men truly loved Roosevelt. And and he loved them. And he showed his love so oh, many times by trying to advance them in their careers and by, by appointments, whether it's territorial governors or U.S. marshals. And yeah, three Rough Riders become territorial governors, yeah. Roosevelt mm-hmm. names. That's, and, that's and, astonishing. And, you know... They, in criticisms of Roosevelt, they brought this up often, you know, nepotism and yeah. the Rough Riders. But, you know, again, we talked about that, Larry, this band of brothers, this bond that formed in, you know, where they risked death together. Uh, and I'd have to say 
that those appointments were usually good appointments. Yeah. I mean, they were good men and they did their jobs. There were certain individuals that, that weren't as good, but hey, you know, that's that, that you happened. Know, things happen. Yeah. He still felt in his mind he was still putting forward the best yeah. candidates. They yeah. just happened to be rough riders. I have several of these stories in there, but one of my favorite is the the one about Ben Daniels. And, and you know, we know how Theodore Roosevelt loved Westerners and Western oh, yeah. characters. And Ben Daniels was a real, you know, Western character, frontiersman. And he was really impressed with him. And, uh, you know, and, and he loved the stories that Daniels told him about his Old West experiences. And so he nominates him for U.S. Marshal. But then it turns out the one story that Daniels didn't tell was when he was arrested for stealing mules. <laughs> and now he's now nominated for you. And so, of course, you know, this, this came out yep. and it was a huge embarrassment. But, you know, T.R. stuck with him. He made sure he got the appointment to be the head of prisons or whatever in Arizona. And then later he renominated him. For the U.S. Marshal, and, and he got it. Yeah, yeah. So, anyway, but I just thought it was funny, <laughs> you know. So many times, T.R. got embarrassed because of certain things that weren't revealed to him. But, yeah, and those yeah. those Rough Riders are expecting T.R. to bail them out when they get in trouble too. Oh, I, you included that. You included that quote from oh, from Roosevelt's wife Edith in there that uh, it felt as if we were the parents <laughs> of a thousand very large and very bad children. Yeah. Well, um, you know, I think it's, Frank Brito is a story. Right? Oh yeah, it's like, oh yeah. I mean, it's like you know he gets in trouble and he he kills his sister-in-law, and he wants help. And it's like I didn't mean to kill her. I was aiming for my wife. <laughs> so like, like that made a difference or whatever. So. Oh, wow. But yeah, I mean, but uh, they knew but Colonel you know, Roosevelt would help them out. So <laughs> and in fact, he did help. There was a, a gentleman in Colorado who went to prison. And Collier, his, I think. yeah, one of his commanders said, Hey, you know, yeah. he's a good guy. If you could write a letter, it would help. And he and Roosevelt did, he did write a letter. And you know, that's one of those I never was able to find out what happened to him. He got out of prison, and I just wondered if he changed mm. his name or or what, but uh, was never able to track down the rest of his story. Uh, but but you know, you know, the president of the United States writes a letter to the pardon board, that's got to make a difference. So, uh, yeah. yeah, that's a yeah. real indication of that of that two way loyalty that went between Roosevelt and his and his boys, as he called them, right? Sure. Oh yeah. Um, yeah. and then uh, it almost seems as if they expected Roosevelt to be their employment agent, writing to him <laughs> for the smallest of <laughs> of jobs and appointments. But I know Roosevelt got exasperated that before he became president, the Rough Riders would write him and. They would just expect that he could snap his fingers and get him a job somewhere, and it was not the case. Well, yeah. and I, I have this story in there, and I found this again somewhere. If a rough rider happened to be in Washington, let's go see the colonel. And, of course, he'd love to see him. Yeah. And I remember there was a congressman, and he wanted to see Roosevelt, and he went and they said, oh, sorry, you know, he's with somebody. And then he found out he turned around and left, oh, He's with a Rough Rider. I'll never get in today. So he just turned around and gave up. It's like, he's with a Rough Rider. It's not going to happen today. So, yeah, if you were a member of the regiment and showed up, you you had entree into the Oval Office. Well, I don't know if they had an Oval Office in, but you had entree to see Roosevelt. Yeah. Into his speaking, of, yep. speaking of 
White House, I love it every time there's a press conference with President Biden and right behind him up there in the Roosevelt Room. And there's that painting of TR, yeah. that, you know, as Colonel Rough Riders. And I just get a kick mm. out of that whenever I see, you know, those uh, press and there's that painting. I mean, TR yeah. still has this presence, right? Yeah. Even today. Yep. It does. And that room was his office during the presidency. Oh, it was. Okay. Yeah. Well, and, you know, I think to me, it just says something. It doesn't matter whether it's a Republican or a Democrat. No. Um, you know, they can do, they, they get to decide if that, you know, if a painting is going to stay in there or not. And it's like, you know, yeah. uh, nope, yeah, we're going to keep TR in here. So uh, he's inspiring even today. Well, yeah. we think so. We <laughs> Part of that inspiration, yeah. too, is the eventual awarding of the Medal of Honor. And I, I think we've, we've mentioned this to you yeah. before, but just a really interesting way that you bookend the story is with the Medal of Honor ceremonies. The one Rough Rider, during the actual conflict that ended up being awarded the the Medal of Honor was the the surgeon, Rob Church. James Rob Church, yeah. yes. Well, I tell you, it, it was just a moment of inspiration or, or just, you know, a lightning bolt. I, I mean, I'm so proud of that way of constructing the book, to, to bookend it with these two yeah. ceremonies. And, you know, sometimes you get an inspiration or whatever, and, and it, it just seemed to be so fitting to start it that way. Mm-hmm. And also, you know, that also tells you, you know, about this bond. I mean, at the very opening chapter, you know, it means so much. These guys were Rough Riders. And, and then, you know, and then Roosevelt, who was unjustly denied his medal, and all the evidence says he deserved it, and the people that served with him said that he deserved it. And, that, and to end with this, another ceremony where a Rough Rider is getting, you know, a Medal of Honor. By the way, I, I wanted to say, I'm glad you brought up James Rob Church. So... And we talked earlier about resources and research. Generally, for every Medal of Honor, uh, the National Archives has a Medal of Honor file. Um, oh. And so there it was a file um, for James Robb Church, which I examined in person. And I can guarantee to you that I was the first person to untie that red ribbon that was around oh. those folders oh. and that documentation for his Medal of Honor and the correspondence. And uh, so that was a real treat to give, to be able to go through those. But yeah, I was the first, I mean, that they were tied up, like I say, in that classic 19th century red mm-hmm. ribbon. And that I was the first one to untie the head and, and unfold those documents. Uh, I think it was, I think it was from your book that I learned for the first time that it was Roosevelt who initiated the president as commander in chief to be the one to personally present a medal of honor to its recipient in the white house. Yeah. Yeah. You know, he, he wanted it to be special, you know, like other countries. And uh, he, he, you know, I really think you can ascribe to him to elevating the medal of honors importance and significance. Yeah. Um, he, he was the first one to do that. And it, and it, and it was intentional. Like I said, he, he, he wanted this to be, something on par with you know the top medals in other countries and recognizing bravery and honor and and yeah How the queen big... bestows the victoria cross yeah. exactly. to the recipients you know, in and i just i didn't know that either until i looked into it and, and you know soldiers they got their medals in the mail you know that was know. now apparently in some 
army post when a medal of honor was you know they would call out the troops and and -hmm. an officer would present the medal but often it just came to you there were a lot of medals that were given after the civil war and it was it wasn't so hard to get a medal um you just had to have several people write in and and and, yeah it would come i've seen that i've actually seen the the the, uh, for one particular medal what it came in you know the wrapping or whatever the guy you know got it in the mail Mm. and uh, he had his medal of honor yeah (laughs) roosevelt roosevelt is the one that changed all of that so and how special as as the commander-in-chief then to be able to be the one to bestow the medal of honor on one of his own troopers i I can't imagine how special that was for for both of them well i mean i think in a way you know roosevelt was kind of getting his he was getting some retribution you know he wasn't given the medal of honor but he could give it to one of his men yeah and make Mm -hmm. a big deal of it you know to have it you know right there in washington and do it in person and i think it meant a lot to him to be able to do that and i think I think he was sharing in it in a way um, yeah. with, with James Rob Church. And you, you closed the book then, like you said, with Roosevelt posthumously. What is it, 100, almost 103 years later, <laughs> he is receiving the award posthumously through his great-grandson, Tweed Roosevelt. And, you know, um, tell you, you know, again, we live in, a, in an amazing time. But just how cool is it that I could go to YouTube and watch oh, yeah, that ceremony? Watch so yeah. yeah, I didn't witness it, but you know, as a writer, I had the I had the perfect resource to, to write from. I could actually watch it in person right. and, as it happened. So and yeah. I also and I mentioned it in the book and, and how fitting that at the same ceremony an African American soldier's family is also receiving yeah. the Medal of Honor. So Anyway, yeah, it, it, it's very. I think any to me, any Medal of Honor ceremony is so moving, and and I've right. watched several, and and I just again we can thank Tr for making it special. You know, yeah, it's yeah. <laughs> well, I know we could go on for a considerable amount of time talking <laughs> with you, Mark, about your your research, your writing process, yeah. and and the love that we all share for Roosevelt and his regiment. But we probably should be wrapping it up. I did want to ask you if you had any personal re- reading recommendations regarding Roosevelt and the Rough Riders. Any anything that maybe some of our listeners might not already be familiar with, as you, maybe you discovered in part of the research. Well, I mean, of course, I, I think everybody should read Roosevelt's book yeah. on the Rough Rider, published in eighteen ninety nine, and originally appeared. What was it in script? No, it's what was it was serialized first. Yeah. And, mm-hmm. uh, and was it Scribner's? Is that right? I believe so. Mm-hmm. I believe, yeah. Um, but uh, it actually, you know, to me, most people, you know, they don't look at those original articles, but there's more information in the serialized mm-hmm. article than what appeared in the book. There's some there's some differences, so it's worth looking at both. But, you know, I know TR got criticized. A lot of people, I mean, well, not a lot, but they thought, you know, it was it was so much about him. Yeah. And I didn't read it that way at all. He's, no. you know, it's his book. It's his, he's chronicling the experiences of himself and his regiment. And he, he gives credit to other troops yes. in that book. And I don't know how other historians miss this because they'll, 
they'll again they'll criticize and say, oh, you know, he he failed to recognize this or that. He gives a lot of credit to other regiments that were there in Cuba. Mm-hmm. And anyway, I don't see it as yeah. a self-promoting book at all. I see it as an excellent resource on the experiences of, of these men as well as himself. So anyway, that's that's a book that I would you know definitely recommend you know yeah. to get his perspective on on what was happening. And it was a, a very important resource for me. So there were other books that came out of that, but that was a very important one for telling my story. Yeah. And one thing I discovered with the Rough Riders in the earlier editions, they include TR's sermon that he gave at Camp mm. Wyckoff and his mustering okay. out speech after they presented mm. him with the Bronco Buster. Later editions mm-hmm. cut that out. Mm, okay. And so it's the earlier versions, and I haven't had a chance to look at the serialized parts, but I wonder if they... Mm-hmm included that as well so yeah i can't remember and and you know that's another thing too about his book and uh, especially those serialized articles the wealth of photography um you know there was a lot of photography during the civil war but nothing like the spanish-american war and again you know the cameras are more advanced they're handheld so uh, there's just a wealth of visual materials and so in those early articles, or the first versions before the book, there's a lot more photographic images as illustrations. And so that's another reason to go to those, too. Mm-hmm. Well, I noticed in the book, in quite a few of the pictures, makes reference to picture was from the author's collection. Oh. So I know that you are a person who collects stuff, who admires books, and, and likes those pieces of material culture and, and artifacts. So I wanted to ask, is there one or two particular pieces of material culture that you think most interestingly tell the story of the Rough Riders? Well, one of my, actually my favorite artifact that's tied to the Rough Riders is in Las Vegas, New Mexico. It sits at the City of Las Vegas Museum and Rough Rider Memorial. And I love it because it's, it's again, it's kind of like this, it's kind of like this hidden secret or hidden gem that hardly anyone knows about, but it's just this amazing artifact. And it's when the Rough Riders charged up San Juan Hill at the blockhouse. And, and again, you know, when you read my book, and you all know this, there was more than one blockhouse on San Juan Hill. Yeah. And, and there's the famous blockhouse that's it's often depicted. But the Rough Riders also charged the blockhouse. And, and when we say blockhouses, these were just houses that were fortified. It wasn't like they were a fort that somebody mm-hmm. built. They were already, they were a ranchero, what, whatever you want to call it, and they fortified them. And so the Rough Riders from Kettle Hill charged their own blockhouse. And, and, there's, and you know, Theodore Roosevelt got very frustrated because, you know, they tried to say he didn't charge San Juan Hill. But if you look at the actual U.S. government or Army maps from the time, that whole ridge is labeled San Juan Hill. Yeah. And as T.R. said, you know, we're nitpicking here. It's, mm-hmm. uh, we charge San Juan Hill just as much as anybody else. And, right. they, and they met resistance also in their charge. Yeah. Uh, but anyway, when they got to the top, they captured a Spanish bugler who was in one of the trenches. And John Greenway took the bugler's bugle. And so this bugle is in the museum in Las Vegas, New mm. Mexico, and it's even inscribed. He had a jeweler ins- do an inscription, you know, <laughs> captured July 1st, 1898, San Juan Hill, and John wow. Greenway, his name's on there. And it's amazing to me that what I call a Smithsonian-worthy artifact 
yeah. is here in this small museum in Las Vegas, New Mexico. And again, when we talk about that this episode in TR's life is a direct connection to his ascent to the presidency of the United States, that's what makes it Smithsonian worthy. Here is something from yeah. that moment in time that made an icon, that made a regiment mm-hmm. iconic. And you can see it, and it's behind a piece of glass there in Las Vegas, New Mexico. So, you know, you can go to the National Museum of American History, and you can see Leonard Wood's uniform, and mm-hmm. you can see other art, you know, Roosevelt and Rough Rider artifacts. But to me, that, that bugle that was captured from a Spanish soldier just, you know, thrills me to mm. see. Yeah. I think you told me about that earlier, and I made a point of looking for it when I went down oh. there the first time. So, Good. Yeah. Any thoughts? I did, yeah. Good, it's yeah. pretty great. I need to make a trip. Yeah. Yes. Field trip, Larry. Yeah. And, <laughs> and my, I think one of my favorite artifacts I ever saw was at Sagamore Hill, Theodore Roosevelt's mm. hat that was mm. on the one elk antler when I was there originally oh, and okay. with the sword that got left mm-hmm. behind in camp. But Yeah. I desperately wanted to see the Bronco Buster bronze mm. that the regiment gave and but when I went to Sagamore Hill, they were restoring the interior, and oh. they had loaned they had loaned it to the Metropolitan Museum of Art in New York City. So I went, you know, I, on the same trip I had to go to New York anyway. Yeah. So I went to the Metropolitan Museum of Art. It was not on display because they were getting ready to have it in some exhibit somewhere else. So I never got to see the original Bronco Buster. <laughs> But well, I'm and, I'm hanging on to it right here. Yeah, you have it. Oh, in the back you are. Yeah. <laughs> nice. Well, nice. okay. Now I know where it was. So anyway, but what I did get to see, which is pretty cool, and it has a Remington connection, I had to do a research trip to. Well, I wanted to go to San Antonio. I wanted to see the area in the, in the missions, you know, where they where they trained, and yeah. you know, go to the Minger, of course. Well, it just so happened that it, the Museum of the Big Bend in Alpine, Texas, they had an exhibit of Remington paintings, and they had borrowed the Remington painting of the charge up Kettle Hill, oh, and it was on wow. this So I made a special trip. I said, well, Alpine's on my way home, and I went to Alpine, and I got to go see and stand in front of Remington's painting, mm. and I took multiple pictures, and it's actually my photograph of the painting that appears in the book. But, you know, that museum belongs to the Frederick Remington Museum in New York State, and uh, you can see it there. But, they, yeah, they had borrowed wow. it for this special exhibit, and it didn't travel <laughs> anywhere else. And I tell you what, it took – I mean, it was the highlight of the exhibit because it was bigger than anything else. It was huge and against this one wall. And mm. I spent an hour there taking photos and taking close-ups, and, yeah, it, it was – anyway, that was a real thrill to see. Yeah. But, wow. of course, that painting – same one hill like the bugle so it's yeah. a close second it's a close second to the bugle. right and in, in december 2019 we were invited to sagamore hill as theodore and edith to portray them there mm-hmm. and they wanted us to film the christmas greeting for the national park service in the north room mm-hmm. so i'm climbing over things making sure i don't stand on like the lion rug or anything and i look <laughs> okay. on the mantle and there is bronco buster and i looked at the park uh-huh. ranger and i said can i just touch one little corner and he's like no but i was an inch from it just staring and in awe i mean it was like shaking hands with colonel roosevelt it goes back to your theme of this western story and how fitting that it be presented 
a Remington bronze of a cowboy. So, yeah, it all ties together. Yeah. Wasn't that Remington's first bronze? I, I believe so. Somewhere. One, yeah. of, one of his more famous ones, I know that. Yes. Yeah. There, there are many copies out there, I understand. Kurt may yeah. be aware of one. So. Yeah. yeah, got it right here. <laughs> <laughs> well, Mark, we thank you so much for being our premier author on the Talk About Teddy podcast and for being a part of this discussion to talk about your excellent work, Rough Riders. And Larry, any parting comments? I just I want to thank you again for the due diligence of the primary resource searching and having that force of will like Theodore Roosevelt to make sure that you did this well and pushed it through. And I'm, and I'm glad to be the first. There will only be one first ever, yep. so I'm glad to have that spot. So uh, so thanks for having me on, guys. Oh, thank, thank you, Mark. Wow, what a great conversation today with Mark Lee Gardner, author of Rough Riders, Theodore Roosevelt, His Cowboy Regiment, and The Immortal Charge Up San Juan Hill. Well, folks, if you love reading about TR as much as we do, uh, if you enjoy reading military history and American Western history, then you really do need to have this book in your library. Uh, you can pick yourself up a copy and maybe one for somebody you care about at our website, talkaboutteddy.com, where you can find a link to go purchase a copy or two online. Well, that's our show for today. Thanks for listening. You can find this podcast on our website, talkaboutteddy.com, where you can see show notes and transcripts, links to resources, and additional TR content. And please, Tell us what you think. If you've enjoyed our content, please consider subscribing and reviewing the podcast wherever you listen and tell your friends and family about us because it really does make a tremendous difference and it helps others find this show. We hope you'll join us for the next episode of Talk About Teddy. And until then, as our friend Colonel Roosevelt would say, Do what you can with what you have where you are. Bullet. <laughs>